let's all turn to Romans uh, chapter 7. And we're just going to read parts of this because you can't cover the whole chapter. And I'll do my best, but uh, watch carefully. Uh, verses 1 and 2, Romans 7. What a powerful passage of Scripture. And it's kind of hard to, uh, to see some hard things here, and, but yet they need to be heard. Know ye not, brothers, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he lives. I guess that's true when he's dead. The, the law doesn't have much to say to him anymore, does it? You can serve papers on a dead man. It isn't that important. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. Now, this uh, certainly shows a couple of things. Number one, would be how important marriage is. And it was designed to last a long time. It was designed to last a lifetime, wasn't it? It was a very sacred and holy thing. Uh, just like the law, it was that important. But uh, once the man died, the woman was loosed. And so on the, with the death of Christ, uh, the law's nailed to the cross. And we've got something better. And that better is announced here in verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye are also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Now, married to another. That's neat, isn't it? Uh, because we have something better here. We're married to Christ, that we should be married to another. And then something wonderful is like the fruit of a, a long-term and happy marriage is the blessed children that it brings forth. So out of our spiritual life, God has chosen to give us a blessing, all kinds of spiritual blessings, good things, rich things, and enduring things. They last longer than the things that happen in this veil of tears. Married to another, his name is Jesus. You know, if you read Ephesians 5, you understand that man alive uh, he says submitting yourselves one to another as unto Christ uh, we see that the marriage vows is a picture of, of Christ's uh, wedding to his bride the church and that's what's so important we want to be part of the body of Christ that it be presented you see uh, ultimately to God himself up in heaven how powerful that really is and then I look in 2 Corinthians 11, too, he says, I'm jealous over you. Isn't that amazing? I'm jealous over you. You know, sometimes jealousy is a good thing, isn't it? That means you care enough to really be concerned about that bride of yours or that spouse of yours or that child of yours. You're jealous. You want the right thing for them. You're going to be careful that they have everything coming to them that belongs to them. And then he says, I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He's going to present us to Christ as a pure virgin bride. And that's the way it ought to be, is it? to raise your children to so present themselves to their marriage partner as a virgin, chaste, circumspect, honoring, one another and honoring the vows that they make to their loved one. I look at verse 6 quickly. But now we are delivered from the law. Aren't you glad? It was so hard to keep the law. Now we've got a brand new lawyer in our presence today, Rose. How good it is to have you back. 
But you know, the law doesn't have a lot of grace nor a lot of mercy, does it? Not really. And it's so hard to keep that law. So we have something better, see. We're delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we would serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. New, see, I, I was just thinking that Oxidol says that when they put the word new Oxidol on their soap, now, do they still sell Oxidol? Am I dating myself? <laughs> Is there an Oxidol soap anymore? That tells you how old I am. But, you know, in those days, they said that when they put new Oxidol on it, that profits rose 7%. Same old soap, you know, they didn't do a thing with it. They just said it was the new Oxidol and put a different package, and it's new. And everybody bought that, and so 7% increase by just putting new on it because we like the idea of new, don't we? I like the idea of new things. Uh, you like the smell of a new car or an old car? <laughs> well, if it's Kitty Reese's car, I tell you, you'll like a new car better than the smell of the old one. <laughs> but uh, I'm kind of that way, too, because my little pickup truck, you know, is my office and my lunchroom and a number of other things, and uh, I like the new truck smell. I really do. It's a lot better. And we like new things, don't we? Well, newness of spirit, not in the oldness of the law. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things. Behold, new things come to pass. Well, we're a new creature in Christ, aren't we? All things are made new in Jesus Christ. Old things have passed away all things are become new and I like the newness and I like the promise because there's hope in new things isn't there there really is verse 7 of Romans 7 says what shall we say then is the law sin oh God forbid sounds like uh, Romans 6 doesn't it should we continue in sin that grace may abound oh God forbid same passage oh no we can't hear of such a thing no 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 you see, but if grace is so wonderful, let's sin a lot so we can get more grace. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Not a lick, and when you stop and think about it, what a supercilious argument it is. Foolish, foolish, foolish. And yet, you know, that's the way people are. If we can get around the law, there must be a lot of blessings to it. Uh, don't try to get around the law. There's an importance to the law. And I'm glad that we have it, and it is an important thing. Well, God forbid, no, had I not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust except the law has said, thou shalt not covet. Now, covet is a word that uh, you'll see in the next verse down. He uses the word concupiscence, and I, I had to look that up to be deadly sure of it, uh, enough to talk about it because concupiscence is an interesting word. And when you look it up in the Greek, and I, I started with Webster's Dictionary, and I thought, well, what a dumb thing. Who cares what Webster thinks? What does the Word of God say? What does that concupiscent mean in the Greek? What, what was he saying when he said that? Webster's okay, but Webster had nothing to do with eternal life, but this is eternal life. And what he says there was a lust or a great desire for something that was forbidden by the law. In other words, I knew what the law clearly said, and I said, I don't care what the law says. This is what I want done. Remember that phrase, please, mother, I'd rather do it myself. 
I don't care what the word, I've heard people say, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what the word says. This is my feelings about things. This is the way I want it to be. See, it effect. Isn't that something? So concupiscence is a good word. I know what's right and wrong, but I choose to do the wrong thing because it just suits my style. Sin, oh, boy, careful. Sin is a terrible thing to suit your style. Oh, it'll put you in a poor rigging. Believe you me. Well, we see in this 6 and 7 that something very wonderful happened. I had not known lust, except the law said, you shall not covet. The law, the Ten Commandments. I don't think there's any salvation. It'll all be a wonderful way to live, but I don't see Jesus in the Ten Commandments. It's a wonderful way to live, but there's more to the law. And so we need grace as well as the law. Thou shalt not often challenges people to say, well, I shall, I will do my own thing. Well, in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 7 of the book of Romans, and we are in all of this in the book of Romans, a few exceptions, he says this, for sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. What do you mean? Sin taking occasion by the commandment. Uh, in looking that up, what does it mean, sin taking occasion? That's the Greek word, a forme, and is, is literally uh, just saying that sin has a basis of operation sometimes with the people of God. Sin is a rallying point. Rallying point. Sin has an advanced base. And you know, sometimes that's the case, isn't it? I grew up in Oklahoma during the, the Prohibition days, uh, almost Bonnie and Clyde, I almost knew them. And you know, that was a terrible thing. We legislated morality, didn't we? Sometimes you can do that, sometimes you can't. And in those days, you couldn't drink whiskey. You couldn't buy liquor in Oklahoma. Now, if you think there wasn't any liquor there, of course you're wrong, there was. And that's where the bootlegger came in. And he had the highest, the greatest mansion uh, in the town. Can you imagine that? Because of the kind of farce, people said, well, if the law says that, I'm not going to let them tell me what to do. Them stinking revenuers. Uh, who knows what a revenuer is? I know it's bygone in your age, but you had to have the government stamp on things, see? Did that stop drinking in Oklahoma? Oh, I don't think so. Made a lot of hypocrites out of some folks, and some of the folks were in the church, <laughs> uh, which ought not to be, had it not to be at all. Well, I don't know. In Galatians 5, 13, I don't want sin to become an occasion for work against me. Please, Mother, I'd rather do it myself. You know, it's the heart that's going to make me decide what to do, isn't it? It's my heart, and no amount of legislation is going to take care of it. Now, hey, when you leave here, you watch the traffic signals because we need the law. We have to have the law. I don't care how good we are. There's some of the law that's absolutely essence of existence as creatures that live together. We have to have the law. If everyone was perfect, we could say you could forget the stoplights and we'd say, after you, Alphonse, after you after you and no one would have wrecks would they well not likely but we need the law but how wonderful it would be if we didn't have to legislate the law see 
And Romans 7 says that very thing. There's something better, and it's called grace. There's something far better than just the law. Galatians 5.13 says, For brothers, we have been called unto liberty. See, we're free. Only use not liberty for an occasion unto the flesh, but by love serve one another. Isn't that interesting? You know, if we have grace, if we have mercy, and if we have forgiveness, why he says use that liberty to serve one another. Everyone in the kingdom of God, the church, should have a ministry. Don't you believe that? Everyone in the church should have something because he says, love one another. Present yourself, see, to serve each other. And a church that doesn't help one another or serve one another is no church at all. And therefore, I believe it's very important to have a ministry in the church. And it'll take some time sometime. God said that because you do have grace, you have room to serve one another. You have liberty, not to freedom of licentiousness, but rather freedom to help one another, to lift one another. And hey, the purpose of the church is to say, hey man, I need help. Talk to me. Or, you know, I need 10 bucks. I need $1,000, whatever it is. I need help. Talk to me. We distribute thousands of dollars every year because we believe that that's one of the things we do. We try to help one another. And if the church doesn't help each other, how can you say we serve one another? What, what is the worth of the church, see, if we can't fulfill, fulfill everybody's needs? At verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal and sold unto sin. Carnal means fresh. Uh, fleshly, doesn't it? Carnal. Chili con carne is with the flesh, with the meat. In the old days when things were tight in the early, de late depression, I was raised in the late depression, there were a lot of times you had chili without meat. It went longer that way. <laughs> or at least the men ate the meat and then the kids ate what juice was left or the rear end of the chicken rather than the front end of the chicken. And so, you know, times were different. I don't think a lot of young people understand that there can be tough times in life. I know that most of this bunch knows that there can be tough times. I don't think the world have understood that, at least not for 35, 45 years have there been tough times in America. Not really. So look at that. Isn't that a tremendous scripture? He says in verse 12, it's holy, that is the law. It is just and it is good. Then look at verse 18. For we know this. I know that in my, in me, that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present within me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, that which I would not do I do. Have you ever felt that schizophrenia within you, split-mindedness? Good intentions doesn't amount for much here, does it? About like a hill of beans, man. If it's not planted, it just rots. If it's not immersed into Christ, it just rots. It decays, see? And uh, it's only when you're in Jesus Christ that the body brings forth fruit, that the life brings forth fruit, and there are rich rewards in that. Now, verse 18 and 19 really talk about a dichotomy, don't they? And a dichotomy is just a word meaning two different views of things, often opposing. 
two different th views of things often that are opposed to each other. And I just wanted to stress a couple of dichotomies or several dichotomies. First of all, we've been studying on Saturday night. What a tremendous men's group that has been. I've had my feelings hurt. I have gone away ecstatic. I have learned something. I have enjoyed the fellowship of the most wonderful group of young men and a few old popcorns as well. Uh, it's a rich, wonderful thing. I have loved that. I have liked it. Uh, I've heard views I've never heard above before. It's been good for me because, you know, you can grow old if you don't have young ideas. You know that? You get old that way if you don't learn something new all the time, see. And we saw that God had a dichotomy. He took uh, chaos, see, and he rendered order out of that chaos, it, organization out of disarray, you see. He made things right out of chaos. And uh, when we look at that order, see, uh, Romans 1.20 said, Invisible things of God from the beginning of the world are clearly seen being known or manifest by those things which are created, even his eternal Godhead and his power. And then in verse 22, he says, deeming themselves to be so wise, they became as fools. So much for higher education to see if it's not related to God. And then you'll notice that this line here, whoops, you don't do that with the microphone, do you? And uh, that line is propitiation. It's a covering or separation of us from the things that are bad for us. You know, and I'm thankful for that, a covering, a propitiation. That's what Romans has been talking about. We've been studying in Romans, and praise God, chapter 8's coming up, and there's a very powerful thing that you're going to hear. Uh, you know, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, you know. Chapter 7 talks about those who would be condemned if they don't change their mind. But we are of the group who have been willing to change our mind and to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're not condemned thereby by the past. And we are separated from chaos. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was void and without form. And darkness hovered, hatched, dwelt, moved. The specific word in King James is moved on the face of the earth. God's dynamic began with the pneuma, the spirit, and it's the spirit that causes action, see? So out of disarray and disorganization and chaos comes order, see? But now, God had something more than just creating a universe. He puts man in there, and a moral prerogative is born. And here we have the spiritual as opposed to the carnal or fleshly. Now, order there in Romans 8, he says, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but who walk or seek the spirit. Spiritual men, spiritual women, a spiritual church as opposed to a carnal church. We should preach and teach spiritual things. That's what the world really and truly needs, isn't it? And when I think of that, what a difference that is between the spiritual and the carnal. That's dipolar, isn't it? Or that's what you say in science, but uh, the psychologist says bipolar. One cure for bipolarity is to take, uh, is to take uh, Prozac or Ritali or Confumulafali or Humaguchi. And all of those things are supposed to break down that spectrum, see, between these two dichotomies, see, uh, positive or negative, good or bad, see. And in this case, spiritual as opposed to the fleshly. Well, God had something in his mind, and so we have to use a big word, don't we?
Isn't that right today, gang? We got to use a big word. Uh, and that's cerebellum. What in the world has that got to do anything? The, cere the cerebrum and the cerebellum are two different aspects of the brain, aren't they? The frontal lobe up here, by the way, uh, is our site of voluntary response. See? Thinking, reasoning. Isaiah 1:18 says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. And though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them as white as wool. And though they be as crimson or red, I'll make them as white as snow. I reversed the snow and the wool, but you'll forgive me for that. Well, hey, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Yes. And the cerebrum is something that I think with. And we're going to need that. The cerebellum is the back of the brain. By the way, uh, an average man has five, uh, 550 uh, cubic centimeters for the frontal lobe, whereas the largest gorilla ever recorded has a little less than 600 cubic centimeters. So don't tell me that, you know, we're in the range of the gorilla or monkeys. They are not whom God reasoned with. He reasoned with man. He had to provide the mechanism for humankind to understand. Come now and let's reason together. We had to think this thing out, see. We were not automatons. We were not robots. Robots, see. Not at all. When I think of the cerebellum, that's the involuntary response. If it hit me, I react. See? Curse me, I curse back. You know? If it itches, scratch it. If it feels good, do it. Uh, there's nothing good in the flesh. He says that here in just a minute. See? And I have to guard that fleshly aspect, see, in this dichotomy that makes uh, polarity in human beings, see. That's pretty tremendous because God had to provide a mechanism that we might have and know the difference between good and evil. Isn't that right? Again, propitiation separates the two, the covering. And you don't have to be worried about evil seeping into your life if you'll guard your heart. He provided a mechanism for that. Romans 7, 19 says, For the good I would, I do not, that which I do not do, that which I would not do, I do. And that's just plain good intentions gone amok. And have you ever had that feeling like that's what has happened to you? I wanted to do good, but I didn't get it done. See? And then when I think of this lower one here, evil, wow, that's close enough, isn't it? And uh, the evil which I would not do, I do. I sat in the jail knee to knee with a big old ugly guy. Had his head shaved. His chest, I know, was four feet this way, not this way. It was more than that, this way. And he had a scar. He had 37 stitches in his head. He had run into a guy, apparently, that had a bigger chest than he did. And he wept. See, there, there's not much grace in the law. There's not much hope in the law. There's not much hope in man-made laws in any way, only God's law. And the jail isn't curing too many people of anything. And so he wept as he said, I held my little baby. He said, he's two years old, my little boy. And he said, please, please, they took my baby away from me. Would you help me? I'll do what I can, but the law's already acted hasn't it? And sometimes it's the spiritual law that we need, see? And he wasn't quite ready for that, see? And you see that that dichotomy is very important to God. Now, this is in, in uh, uh, Flamingo Red, so because it has some other things going for it. And you'll notice it's love as opposed to hate. Wow, was there ever bipolar phenomena in love and hate? 
What is one of the hardest things that you find is in a marriage gone wrong, hatred, uh, which started out to be love, takes over sometimes, doesn't it? Not always, but that's often the case. And, and the very most important emotions and passions within us often turn bad most quickly. Because I believe it's fleshly origin, much of it. Love, love. Romans 12, 8 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. Don't owe money. Rather, owe, brother, I want to help you when you need help. I owe you that. Why? Because we're brothers in the house of faith. We're brothers in the Lord Jesus Christ and sisters too. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. And Jesus talks about that, and I can't, don't have time to go into it. But, you know, if you have love, you have fulfilled the law. Sum it up, Jesus said. And love God with all of your heart and love one another as I have loved you, see. And when I look at that uh, hate part, I, I'm, I'm scared sometimes. Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or hold to the one and to despise the other. Now, if you want to, you can substitute despise instead of hate. That's probably even worse than hate, isn't it? I don't know. Despise is a snooty way of saying, I hate your guts. And there's plenty of that in the world. Don't you see a world which is filled with hate? And we just work so hard to teach the little kids how to hate. Oh, in a very sophisticated style, I'm sure. But the world is great at teaching the children about hate. And that is an awful thing, isn't it? But out of love and out of hate, and particularly out of love comes life, and out of hate comes death. Talk about bipolar. This is really true, isn't it? Life as opposed to death. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that a powerful message? What is life? It's eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that Christians are strictly bipolar here. We have a preference, and it is eternal life, and we are seeking that with all of our heart. And notice that death, uh, Romans 7, 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Uh, one version says, through the bondage of this death. And here now we are referring to the law of mortuum. There were a lot of laws in Rome. This is the Roman letter. It was addressed to the wickedest, most despicable kingdom the world has ever known. It's the last kingdom that has ruled its entire world, the Roman Empire. And it dies in 483. And it's forever nothing. Doesn't mount to a hill of beans now. But at one time it ruled all the world. The law of the fathers, Potria Potestas, the law of the, the Roman gods. Uh, you had to believe in certain gods. The raw laws of the empire. But this one is a good one. The law of death, mortua, mortuary, from Latin. You have to be cool to know that. In those days, uh, Guy V. Dunning said that one was required when he had retreated in the face of the enemy, a soldier of, Go of Rome. When he had retreated in the face of the enemy, he was tied face to face with a dead man with moistened thongs. And he would say face to face, lay face to face with that dead man until he died. And so think of that, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the bondage 
of this body. And isn't that sad? Wow. The Roman Empire was great, but it didn't think much of its own, did it? didn't bless its people. The Word of God blesses its people. The kingdom of God, the church, blesses its people. And we've shed of that. Well, hey, it's a terrible thing that we're facing. What is that? War. Total war. Total war. I believe that with all of my heart. I want to conclude with this thought. Verse 22. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. What's the inward man? That's the heart, isn't it? It's what's inside a man, not the clothes he wears or the, the external physiognomy that matters. Heavens, no. It's not the size of his nose or the cut of his jib. It's what's on the inside that makes Christians what they are and what's make holy women and holy men and sanctified teeny boppers. That's what the world needs with all of its heart. And it's the inside, man. It's not what you put on or the cosmetic difference on the outside. I see another war in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And so these hands, which could have built a church, you see, steal money, or reach out and smash someone and take their life, or put a 37-stitch uh, crack down a man's head simply because... You're cool, and you want to lord it over somebody else. There's nothing that's good there. It's the law of God as opposed to the law of man. It's schizophrenia, split-mindedness. That's another good word. Split, split frontal lobe. I can't set my heart on things that really matter. I can't set my mind on things which are higher and thus make me successful. And so, O oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from the body of this death? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So within the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. He said, the thing I want to do, I know. That which I would not do, I do. And that which I would not do, I do that. Why is that? I, I, I'm split-minded. I, I'm not purposeful. I don't have a, a heart of great resolve. You know what a moon raker is. And there was a day when men went about in the days of the dead and uh, they would th go through the swampy waters with rake. They would wait till moon let night and they would see the still water, the reflection of the moon, and thus would scrape the dead things from the bottom of the pool. You don't want to be a moon raker. What in the world is a moon raker in the kingdom of God? Someone who lays their body down in death, burial, and resurrection, and then goes back to the grave and probes around there trying to bring up the old man one more time. Who will deliver us from that body then? The only one that will deliver us is Jesus Christ. Don't go back to the watery grave and dig up the old one you left there because you're to rise and walk in a new kind of life. How powerful, how powerful it is. And so we have to, we have to cheat from Pat and take the next verse, and we'd want to go home and take a shower, because this is a tough chapter, isn't it? But listen, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the Spirit, who walk not after the flesh, but who walk after the Spirit. It doesn't matter which way you would say that, but that's the correct way to say it. There is therefore now no condemnation. Praise God Almighty 
there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As we sing our hymn of invitation today, what an opportunity if you don't have a church home, if there's a confession of faith that needs to be made, if you just simply want to testify to the power of God as we stand and sing, would you come? Lord, I come to you, let my heart be changed, renewed, flowing from the grace that I found in you. And Lord, I come to know the weaknesses I see in me. For the good I would, I do not. That which I would not do, I do. If you want to be covered, even in spite of that, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're short of time. But I tell you, if you need to make a decision, oh, don't wait too long. Jesus is coming. And he's coming soon. 1 Corinthians 16 says, Anathema, Maranatha. Blessed is coming, or cursed is he coming? Which will it be? Thank you. Would you be seated?